have a seat, put on your seat belts, get out your uh, Bibles and open them up to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We didn't quite finish all of four last week, but you guys are going to have to study the rest of four on your own because we got a powerhouse today and we're going to get right into it. Chapter 5, we're going to try to finish it all. There's five memory verses in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. So by the time you leave here today, I want you guys to have memorized five of the verses, all right? So get ready. We got some stuff to cover. Super, super uh, good things to cover in the scriptures today. Um, Before I do, really quickly, we have uh, more food today than we've ever had on one particular Sunday. So uh, we have lots of food boxes. We have so many that I didn't know we'd be able to get rid of them all. So I put a thing online inviting the public to come out, which I normally don't do on Sunday mornings. So that's going to create a pretty big mess in the parking lot on your way out. So just be patient as you're leaving. Please take a box. Take a box to a neighbor to share. We, we've seen great fruit come out of the food ministry box um, ministry. And, and really, it, it helps as each one of you guys kind of take it on as a personal ministry. And it's really simple. You take a box for yourself and you fill your pantry. Um, it's for you. It's to bless you. It's to bless our church family. Um, and then you take a second box and you bring it to a neighbor and you just tell them, you know, Jesus loves you, anything, any opportunity, any willingness you are to use that box to share the gospel is great. The thing we've been talking about is a simple, can I pray for you? You know, as you, as you minister and one of the ways that we, we share our faith, a simple tactic for folks is just to say, um, can I pray for you? The other thing that I encourage you guys that I use oftentimes is I'll ask folks on the onset, I'll say, and it's kind of non, non-putting, but I'll say, what are your spiritual beliefs? And then they'll open up and they'll tell me, oh, I this or that. And then we can start talking. It kind of opens the door to present the gospel in a way, you know, like if you say, like, are you going to heaven? Are you going to hell? Like, or, you know, or, are you a Christian? You know, I don't know. But that, that, that idea, what are your spiritual beliefs, is, is a pretty easy way to open the door to share the gospel. So I encourage you guys to use that. There's an invite card in every box. Um, Rick's going to make sure those get in there today when he gets out there. Um, so... Uh, again, the box itself will will do the will do the deed. But uh, take those, grab those. Ladies' study Tuesday nights, uh, 6:30. They are. Uh, you guys finish eight or you got finishing eight. So it's it's cool because Romans chapter eight and where we are today are almost like parallel chapters in Second Corinthians five. So uh, ladies, we encourage you guys to be a part of that. And uh, I think we uh, we better get we better get going. So the title of my message today is um, eternal perspective. Everybody say eternal perspective. What does eternal perspective mean? Basically what that means, and really the heart of the message today, is that we live our lives with an eternal perspective. That every day as you make decisions, as you um, spend money, as you do life, that you have eternity in mind. That you don't have tunnel vision. That you don't just see what's right in front of you. That you understand that the reality of your life and my life is one day... You're going to breathe your last, and you're going to stand before God in eternity. Is that, is, yeah, praise God. Somebody said, woo! I'm not even preaching, and we're already preaching today. So the amen section, see how that helps? Just throw them out there. It's all good. We'll get Pentecostal today. I love it. doesn't offend me at all. Um, so, again, I, I want you guys to, to really imagine, envision that if you breathe your last, what, what happens next? You, you've died, you've breathed your last here on earth, you, you close your eyes, and they will open again, and what will you see? And where will you be? Okay? So we're going to see that today. We're going to study that today. We're going to answer those questions today. Now, the answer is different if you're a believer in Jesus or not a believer in Jesus, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that today, too. And I, I can maybe open up with it. Maybe I should get into some of the scriptures first, but um, that kind of prefaces this, but... I'll ask you this, and then you don't have to answer me right now. Don't answer me right now. Are you afraid of death? Okay. So that's kind of the, the no. <laughs> I said don't answer me now. You know, you know, one of the things that's kind of crazy, which I don't mean to rabbit trail. I don't have time today. But um, one of the things for me personally that coronavirus has revealed is that a lot of people are afraid of death. Especially some of this. I don't know why you'd be afraid of not killing them. You know, but anyway. Um, you, the, it is. I mean, I don't know. I guess we realize that, that, that maybe people are more afraid of death than they, they had come on to it to admit. But hopefully today, 
will encourage you in that you, you don't have to be afraid of death as a believer in Jesus. Now, again, there's a huge difference between being a believer in Jesus and not a believer in Jesus in the outcome and the answer to the question of what happens to you when you breathe your last. So in verse uh, number one, it says, for we know, everybody say, we know. Now listen, I'm going to highlight as we go through this chapter, these confidence words. We know, we're sure, we're positive, we have assurance, okay? Because the Bible gives you assurance, and only in Jesus do you have assurance of your salvation. If you follow any other religious system on the earth, 100%, not lacking one, there's not one. If you know of one, let me know after church and I'll revise my sermon sentiment here. But there's not another um, system, religious belief that you can follow that gives you an assurance of salvation. Because so many of them are works-based, and there's always a question mark at the end of your life, did you do enough in the works department? You know, one of the things I'll tell you, and I've been a pastor for, I don't know, a couple years now, and um, I think 25, I didn't want to say the wrong number, so I, um, but I've been at a lot of funerals, done a lot of funerals. I've been at the best deathbed of a lot of folks, Christians and non-Christians. And I will say this, honestly, Christians die well. Christians die well. You know, one of the things that impacted my life as a, as a follower of Christ, as a pastor, was I happened to be with a woman who was a Jehovah Witness, and she was dying. And we were called in to, to pray for her, and I was with Lydia's dad, Pastor Gerald, and I was kind of the apprentice there, and, and, and she was sweating bullets. She was nervous, and she was afraid, because she had grown up, and she had believed that she had to earn salvation and do a lot of works and do this and do that and do that through the religious system she was a part of and she just didn't have a confidence in her heart that, that she had done enough and she just wasn't sure and I was there the day that Lydia's mom passed away who was a faithful servant of Jesus and there was nothing but joy and just peace when she passed away she passed away so beautifully so beautifully you know she had been in a coma for a couple of days and you know one of the things that you, you can't do on a corpse is, is, is you can't make a corpse smile when you go and they have open caskets at funerals, you know, they'll tell you, well, we can't make your loved one have a smile on their face. It just doesn't work. And, and, and Cindy had been in a coma for, for about 24 hours. And it just happened to be that all of, all of her kids and their siblings and Gerald were all around the bed at this moment when she went home to be with Jesus. And she, she, she almost sat up a little bit and her face broke into a smile. And one little tear ran down her face as she laid down and passed away. We watched her see Jesus just peacefully, just go home to be with Jesus. And I'll tell you, Christians die well because of this um, we know here in verse 1. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you can know that you know that you know that you're born again. We don't need to be arrogant about it. And it's not a matter of pride and arrogance in a bad way. But we have assurance in Jesus that we're going to heaven. One of the reasons why I stress that, you know, we give every um, Sunday an opportunity for you to ask Jesus in your heart and become a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. And if you don't know if you are that today, at the end of this sermon, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask Jesus in your heart and make sure you're going to heaven. But once you've done that, once you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't have to get re-saved. Next week, you don't have to come back and say the sinner's prayer again. You didn't lose your salvation. If you received salvation, Jesus said, those that the Father's put in my hands, of these I've lost none. And now we, we pray prayers of rededication and, and different styles, but you only get saved one time, on, you know, only um, salvation one time. We pray a prayer of salvation one time, and we pray prayers of sanctification for the rest of our lives as Christians. Two similar things, but, but, but very different at the same time. For we know, verse 1, that if our earthly house, this tent, everybody say this tent, is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. And now here's my title of my message, Eternal in the Heavens or Eternal Perspective. One more time. For we know that if, this, that if our earthly house, this tent is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So here it talks about the, this tent. Your body in the Bible is described as a tent. And this is so perfect. Because a tent is what? It's a temporary dwelling place. What you have now is temporary. And praise God, right? <laughs> you younger, beautiful people in here, you're like, I kind of like what I got, you know? But wait till you get to be my age and hair stops growing on your head and out of your nose and your ears and things don't look the way, you know, I'm a shape. Pear's a shape, right? You know, and it wasn't always pear-shaped, but 
while looking at my teenage sons with their shirts off yesterday, and I was like, yeah, I used to look like that one day too. It's cool. <laughs> but I'm glad that this, this tent is temporary, and I, I don't care how well you take care of it, eventually it's going to wear out. And, 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 and the Bible says that when, when that God is going to give you, and when this earthly tent wears out, that God is going to give you a new dwelling, an eternal in the heavens, not made with hands. And that we call sometimes the term we use, biblical term we use is your glorified body. We see that in Jesus. Jesus demonstrated that for us when he died on a cross. He rose again the third day and he appeared to 500 people at one time. The disciples were shut up in a room with all the doors closed and Jesus appeared in the room. Jesus met them on the shore and he, he, he cooked fish for them as they were fishing in his glorified body. And so there, there's, a, there's a body that God has given you, or going to give you, that, that is designed and will last for all of eternity. And, and, you know, Adam and Eve were given that body here on earth. And when sin came, and sin and death entered the world, um, Adam and Eve changed. And, and God only protected one tree in the Garden of Eden. He put an angel with a big sword in front of it so that Adam and Eve wouldn't eat of that tree. He already told them, eat of any tree except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what they ate of and they sinned. And when that happened, God then protected one of the trees in the Garden of Eden. You remember which one he protected with an angel and a sword? Tree of life. Why? Because now Adam and Eve lost their glorified bodies and took on the body that you and I have, this body of flesh, and it's corruptible. And had they eaten the tree of life in a corruptible body, they would have been stuck. That's what a zombie is. Zombies are a real thing. They're a Bible thing, you know. They would have been stuck in that body for all of, all of eternity had they eaten of the tree of life. You know what God did with that tree? Nobody? What did he do with that tree? Tell him, Liz. Somebody knew. Somebody knew. Dave. He moved it to heaven. It's in heaven. And, and we're going to have special access to it. So, um, so this body, eternal in the heavens. And then in verse 2 it says, For in this we groan. Everybody say, Oh earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Our habitation, which is from heaven, it says that we groan for that. And I don't know about you guys, but again, the older I get, the more that I, and I always have a little bit, but the more that I groan for heaven. You know, the more that the politics in our nation go south, and the more that things get hard, and the more death and dying and sin and hard things in our world, and just evil things that are taking place, not only in our country, but around the world, when you see those and when you realize that we're not designed for this world, we learned last week that Satan is the God of this world, little g. And that one day Jesus is going to redeem this world, but in the meantime, Satan is the God of this world. And when all those things happen, it makes us groan. Every time something bad happens in your life, you know, part, you can kind of, you have the joy of Jesus, so you always have joy that trumps anything that bad happens to you. But through that joy, you can smile a little bit because it, it gives you this longing, this groaning to be in heaven. Amen? That's, that's when, we, when, when we identify that we are heavenly beings, not earthly beings, it helps give us an eternal perspective that I want to talk to you a lot more about today as we go through this, um, in this eternal perspective. So it says, For we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. Now, really quickly, um, John chapter 14, verse 6, famous verse. Somebody give it to me. That's 316. Close. What did I ask for? 14.6. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Right, right. Prior to that, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. So, you know, we often imagine that heaven is full of mansions because that's what Jesus said, houses. And another place, Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths don't don't eat them and, and thieves don't break in and steal and rust doesn't destroy them. And, and so we, we get this idea that, you know, we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven and possibly those treasures are, are the material that God is using to build our mansions based on our works. And so, you know, we tell jokes about mansions in heaven and about the bus driver and the preacher. Do you guys hear that one? The bus driver and the preacher died at the same time and they get to the pearly gates and Peter welcomes them and none of this is biblical, but it's, it's funny. Um, so Peter is, Peter's um, going to take them to their mansions. And so they're, they're going to their mansions and, 
and they're walking down these streets and the mansions are just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and palatial. And finally, they, the preacher is just getting so excited, you know, and, and they see these houses and then they finally get in front of the biggest house on the street. And Peter looks at the bus driver and he says, there's your, there's your mansion. And the preacher's like a little disappointed, but then he starts getting excited. He's like, if the bus driver got a house that a mansion looks like that, I can't wait to see mine. And then they walk down the street and the houses start getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And finally they come to two sticks that are leaning against each other. And Peter says to the preacher, there's your mansion. And the preacher says, Peter, I'm so confused. Why did the bus driver get that and I got this? And, preacher, uh, and Peter said, well, when the, when the bus driver drove, people prayed. And when you, when you preached, people slept. <laughs> but... That's, that's kind of helps our theology a little bit because there's a lot of theological truth in that. But I believe that it's very possible that when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions, he wasn't necessarily talking about a building. He was talking about this glorified body that we're going to have. That your mansion is, is, is who you are. You know, because, I mean, yeah, we may necessary to have dwelling places in heaven, but... I hope they won't need a bathroom. You think think that's done, right? Glorified body, like that part of, you know, it just poofs away. (laughs) You don't have to deal with it anymore. Will it need a bedroom? Will we sleep in eternity? I don't know. The Bible says there'll be no marriage or giving in marriage. And um, so who knows? Maybe those that that what Jesus was talking about is really our body. And then it says in verse three, for if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. Now, um, not really sure exactly, you know, again, it's this earning, earnest, but I, I kind of read into that verse a little bit. Maybe I should just leave it alone, but um, being found naked, may, maybe in hell you're, you have this a naked feeling that there's, there's no glorified body, that you, you, you don't receive a glorified body that you'll use for all of eternity in hell and that you'll be found naked. And then he says um, in verse number four, for we who are in this tent, everybody say tent, groans being burdened not because we want to be unclothed but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life so that's what that's what happens when you die the first thing is that your mortality is swallowed up by life you know what none of us if you're a believer in jesus christ will die jesus said if you live and believe in me you will never die so when they print your obituary, when they print my obituary, if you read my obituary, it says, Pastor Christian has died. Call the editor and say, this is a misprint. He didn't die. He moved. He moved to his eternal dwelling. He's at, he's at home in heaven. The Bible says that, that we sleep in Jesus. You'll see that term rather than die because Jesus said, if you live and believe in me, you will never die. Do you believe this? If you live and believe in me, you will never die. That's a powerful promise of God's word. So, so we don't die, we just, incorruption is swallowed up by, by or, or corruption is swallowed up by incorruption. Mortality swallowed up by life. Now, um, again, this body being a tent, this life being a tent, what you do now is temporary. How many of you guys like to, like to camp? How many of you guys, the brave ones, keep your hands up if you're tent campers? Okay, all right, all right. Not me, you guys seen my wife, right? She ain't getting in no tent. That's all there is to it. I tried, but even when we were young and broke, like, I uh, wasn't getting her camping in no tent. She said if it didn't have a refrigerator and a microwave in it, she wasn't going. And so we put our pennies together, and we got a fifth wheel, and that's how we, that's how we camped for a lot of years. We had, we had a good season of life um, there for a while, about 10 years. We, we spent a lot of time camping in our fifth wheel and had a big community at the church that was doing it, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But I'll tell you... Um, let me ask you this. What is the, what's the most expensive thing in your house? What's the, what's the most valuable thing in your house? What? I don't even want to hear what he said. I'm afraid of what he said. I hope he said his wife, but I don't know. Okay. All right. Okay. Material thing. Okay. You have something in your, in your house that's valuable, right? Um, you know, maybe, maybe one of you guys have like a very rare like Van Gogh in your house. That's a painting that's worth like, who knows, billions of dollars, right? So it's, it's tent camping weekend. Do you take the Van Gogh and bring it with you and put it in the tent when you, when you go? No. no? Um, do you take the, the kitchen sink and, and, and unloose it and bring it with you and put it in the, in the tent when you go camping? 
No, you don't, you don't invest. You don't, the things that are valuable, you don't invest them in your tent. Where do you, where do you put the Van Gogh? Where do you put the really nice chandeliers and, and, and lights? Where do you put those? In your house. Where, where is your house? Let me ask you that. You understand, you hope you're tracking. Where's your house? In, in where? Every, 100% of you got to understand this. Your house is heaven. Your tent is here. So, so where do you want to invest in? What makes sense for you to invest in? How, 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 how wise would it be, you know, for you to take the, get in the safe and get the, the family jewels and pearls and diamonds and wedding rings and, and bring them with you and then zip the tent up when you leave with all the valuables inside and go hiking for the day. You, you, don't, you don't decorate the tent with those. We don't invest in, in this life in that way. We want to invest our life in heaven because that's the reality. Again, Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so we need to live with this eternal perspective that one day we're going to face Jesus. We're going to go on and we're going to see here in the next couple of verses when I get to it, I'm going to come back to this, that, that every one of us is going to be judged and given a reward based on what we did on this earth. And on that day, now I won't preach it now, I better keep going. Um, we want to have it. But again, this, this tent, I think we invest too much in. I have a friend, a good friend of mine I grew up with. And sometimes he listens to my sermons, but that's okay. He loves me and I love him. He'll probably know I'm talking about him. Um, one of, we've been friends since, I don't even remember, second grade, third grade, for our whole lives. We lived on the same block, and to this day we're friends. Uh, we were together in December for a week. Um, he'll call me every once in a while. And, and he's successful in business and always has been. And uh, when, when I was uh, 18 years old, I was trying to find a job. And I'm not kidding. I got like 30. That, but in those days, you went and you got a paper application. You filled it out. You went and turned it. So I went to everywhere I could find all in all of South L.A. And I filled out like 40 um, applications to get a job. And I was at his house. And of all the 40, he took one and filled it out for me. And his handwriting, everything, he just wrote the whole thing. And I just went and turned them all in. I got one job offer. The one that he filled out. <laughs> Levitt's Furniture. Yeah, and that's where I worked. That's where I worked right out of high school for a couple of years. And he's uh, and just always been, you know, he's the guy that'll sell you uh, oceanfront property in Arizona, an entrepreneur, and super, you know, successful. And he'll call me every once in a while. And, and he's proud of what he's doing. He's telling me about his success and about his business venture and how well he's doing and what he's buying and the whole time, and I love this guy. I've been best friends, you know, close friends with him since fourth grade, but I'm cringing, and I'm like, I don't care, dude. You're not impressing me. Are you going to go to heaven? What you, what, what, this is not what impresses me. And then my brother will call me. Hey, did you talk to Larry? Oh, that's not his name. <laughs> you talk to Joe? I was like, yeah, I talked to Joe. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He told me all that. You know, he, he really unleashes on my brother, you know, and. He holds back a little bit on me, and I, and I always point it back to this eternal perspective. And I say, look, man, Jesus said, if you gain this whole world and you lose your soul, you made a bad deal. Start investing in God's kingdom. You know, Lydia and I, um, we've been, I've been a pastor, and Lydia's been a pastor's daughter and wife. And uh, when Luke uh, was born, from the time Luke and Caleb were born, our three boys, they were born within three years exactly in one day. Three years and one day. We had a three-year-old and a, and a one-day-old baby. And for the next eight years, Lydia didn't work. And, and then uh, when, when the youngest started kindergarten, Lydia went back to work. And I had been pastor for a little bit. I had gotten a raise. And we had not extra money, but we were better financially than we had ever been. And so it was time in life to meet with the financial advisor. And so the guy comes from wherever he was from, mutual fund thing, somebody through the church, and sits down with Lydia and I in the office for about an hour. And he goes over portfolio and if you guys have ever been in one of these meetings, like how to invest, and uh, one of the things I did was I opted out of, as a pastor, I had the opportunity when I was a new pastor at 22 years old to opt out of Social Security. It was bad advice, I think, at the time. I've since opted back in coming here, but we had no Social Security. So the, 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 the idea was any money you pay into Social Security, you put it into a private retirement fund. It, it earns more. It does better. And, but Lydia and I weren't doing that because we had no money to put in, extra money to put into it. We were spending all the money. And so now it's time, like, okay, we've got to get this retirement thing going. We've got to get invested. And the guy comes. He sits down. And, you know, if you say, if you put down $40 a month, by the time you're 73, you'll have $42 million. And if you put down $47, you know, all these things, and this, invest this, and that. And so we meet with him. We're trying to decide how much a month we're going to invest into this, this, this program. And when, when he left, Lydia and I talked and prayed. 
and we decided that, you know, we decided that we were going to invest zero in this program, and every dollar that we had, we were going to give it to the church instead, invest in the kingdom of God. And that, that's terrible financial advice. I'm not a financial advisor. <laughs> don't do that financially. That's not what I'm saying. You know, I always tell people, don't come to me financial advice. I'm terrible with finance. I just, I just have this uncanny, like my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he's going to take care of it. And, and so far he has. But, um, but it was a decision. At the time it was $50, $75, $100 a month. And we decided as, as you know, what we wanted to do is we wanted to invest in the kingdom of God. And, and just those kind of decisions that we, we invest in the kingdom of God. And again, this is not financial advice. This is heart advice. This is reality advice that you're going to stand before Jesus one day and he's going to have a reward for you based on what you invested in his kingdom. Now, it has nothing to do with getting to heaven. I want to be very clear through all of this that you understand that, that your works do matter, but they don't matter until you become a believer in Jesus Christ. Nothing you can do to work or earn your salvation. That's only a free gift of Jesus Christ that you receive by faith. It's only because of the mercy of Jesus and the grace of God that you have the opportunity to go to heaven. If you believe or you're in any kind of religious system that says you have to do anything or add anything to your faith in order to, be, to, to get it into heaven, you're, you're, blas- you're committing blasphemy because you're saying that the work that Jesus did on the cross was not sufficient and I have to add to that. And you can never add to what Jesus did on the cross for you. It's done. It's finished. Pay to left eye. It's a completed work. Once you're a believer in Jesus Christ, now your works matter towards not salvation, towards eternal reward, eternal perspective. And I'm going to show you guys that in a minute. And then he says, um, verse 5, Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Okay? So we talk about this from time to time in different Bible chapters and verses, that God has given you the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. This didn't happen until after Jesus did what? Died on a cross and rose again. Before that, it was different. Now you have the Spirit of God as a guarantee, right? We know what earnest money is, right? Prove that you're serious. God wants to prove to you that He's serious, so He's filled you with His Holy Spirit. And then he says, um, so we are always confident. Everybody say, always confident. Look at verse 1. For we know, okay, I told you guys we're going to hit on this theme a little bit. We know we're always confident. Okay? Um, and then you'll see that again, this, this idea. We're confident. We know. So we're confident. Yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body Everybody say this with me. And to be present with the Lord. Okay? That is a a deep doctrinal and theological truth that puts to to rest a lot of other ideas about heaven, about hell, eternal sleep, purgatory. All that goes bye-bye with this one verse. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you die, you will be present with the Lord as a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, again, qualifier is you you have to be born again. You have to have your sins forgiven. And there's only one who forgives sins. That's Jesus. There's only one way into heaven. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. But when you close your eyes, you are in the presence of God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We don't go into soul sleep. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as three levels of heaven, and depending on where you go, you get into one, and God's only in one, and, and we're only in the other. Nonsense. Okay? When you, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And then he says, um, it's going to kind of, oh, I missed verse 7, didn't I? For we walk by faith, not by sight. That was just, Paul put that in there specifically so we can make a cool worship song out of it. We walk by faith, not by sight. Again, we, it takes faith, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. How many of you guys have seen heaven? How many of you guys have seen Jesus? Yeah, you're here. You believe. You know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that, and that when, you, when you close your eyes here, that you're, you're, you're going to open them in eternity with Jesus. And that, that takes faith. And then he says, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. So that's the eternal perspective verse as well. Listen, is it your aim to be well-pleasing to God? 
Is that what motivates the decisions in your life is to be well-pleasing to God? This is this kind of, you know, again, so much of Romans 8 in this because this goes back into that idea of, of Christian liberty. You know, and, and if you want to have a conversation with me about Christian liberty, just save it, okay? Um, because, you know, like one of the ones you get from sometime is, you know, as a pastor is the, the young couple who's engaged. Uh, pastor, how far can we go and not be sin? The Bible says it's good not to touch a woman. So keep your hands off her until you're married. You know, or how much can I drink and it not be sin? I don't know, the Bible says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to one another. You know, and again, if, if, you're, if your vision of God, of relationship with Jesus is how much bad can I do and still be okay? Go talk to somebody else. <laughs> Go talk to your priest or somebody else. I don't know. Um, because it's just, it's, it's not the right heart. It's not the right attitude. You know, like I want to be, do you want to just stand as close to the cliff as you can without going off? Some of you do. You want to hang your toes over. And that's fine. You may go to heaven, but what we'll see today is that the lots of people are going to, you know, go into heaven and, and your experience in heaven will be different. We're going to see that in the next verse. I'm going to preface it with this question. Will heaven um, be the same for everyone? That's a pretty deep question. You can think about it for a minute. Will heaven be the same experience for everyone? Heaven will be absolutely the same place for everyone, right? A new heaven and a new earth. The way I understand it is that heaven is broken up into two compartments, two different um, dwelling places that will travel between both. Because John said, I see a new heaven and a new earth. So we have new heaven is called New Jerusalem, the holy city, and then the new earth. So you have both. It's all a part of heaven, one big heaven, but kind of two, two separate identities there in the book of Revelation. We're all in the same place, but will heaven be the same for everyone? And, and, and the answer today is a resounding no, it will not. That, that I really believe scripturally that I can show, that I can, I can find in a hundred places that, you know, how do you get around the idea that Jesus said, store up for yourself treasures in heaven, meaning that some of you will store up um, a small amount of treasure, and some of us will store up a larger amount of treasure, that that's not automatically there uh, a biblical difference, that heaven won't be the same for everybody, because some will have smaller reward, and some will have larger reward. We're going to read about um, one of the two judgments here in the next verse, I should read it before I get into this, um, that, that people will face. One is called the Great White Throne Judgment in Revelation chapter 21, and nobody who's a believer in Jesus will be there. And how do I know that? Because everybody who attends the great white throne judgment in Revelation 21 will be cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Here, and then in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, we have the second judgment. Let's take a look at it. It says um, in verse 10, For we, everybody, one more time, for we, hey, do you know what must is? Must, must is one of those, one of those like, uh, like focus words in the Bible. Must is an impact word. It's an importance word. It's a, it's a meaningful word. You know, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. So when it says we must, you know, Jesus, Jesus said concerning the, the, probably the most important must in all of the Bible, what did Jesus say? You must be born again. And if Jesus says you must be born again, guess what? You must be born again. Like, you have to be born again. That's just the bottom line. Well, Paul says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, don't let the good or bad confuse you. God doesn't necessarily have a good and bad is not good English words to describe the economy of God because it's not about being a good person or a bad person. We're all good people. We're all bad people. Um, but your rewards based on motive. Now, again, let's look at the verse together. Everybody, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. This is called the Bema. Everybody say Bema. Seat, seat of Christ. The Bema seat of Christ. It's a judgment place, and I would not be a, a good pastor if I didn't tell you that you will all appear before this judgment seat. And what does it mean? How does it work? Jesus described it to us. Jesus said that at the Bema seat of Christ, that all of your works here on the earth, now we're talking about works and rewards, 
all of your works will be tried as through a fire. And and do you guys remember how it goes? Everything that is wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up, and everything that is precious stones and jewels um, will be refined, will be your reward. So, you know, oftentimes I w- I'll tease about what is this moment going to be like? So basically you breathe your last, you appear before God, and I don't know exactly timing-wise, all that stuff. You know, we're going to be seven years in a, in a celebration feast with Jesus while the tribulation's going on, and um, the Bible says that we'll be at the marriage supper of the Lamb and these things. But we're going to face a Bema Seat judgment and, and, and everything that you've done based on your motive. Now, we know it's not based on action. It's based on a motive behind the action, right? Because God doesn't look at the action. He looks at the motive, right? I'll, I'll illustrate that. Um, Jesus was in church. Yes, Jesus went to church. That's another good reason why you should come to church. Because Jesus himself went to church. He thought it was a good idea. So Jesus is in church on a Saturday morning on Sabbath. And, and he's watching, the Bible says, how people are receiving and giving an offering. And, and, the, and the rich guys are coming up and they got their $100 bills and rubber bands. And the plate is open in front of the church as people come. And they're dropping their, their big offerings in the, in the plate. And a woman comes and she gives two-tenths of a penny, two mites, and she puts them in the plate. And then Jesus comments on the whole situation when it's over. And he says, I tell you that this woman gave more than all of you. Because Jesus was basing what she gave and her reward, not on, what, not on the amount, but on the heart, on the faith, on what it cost her. And that's, that was her livelihood. The $100 bill rolls were excess. They didn't, they, it wouldn't matter if they gave it or not. They wouldn't miss it. But she gave everything she had. She wouldn't know how she was going to eat that day. She had nothing left. Quick question about the widow's two mites. What do you think she ate for lunch that day since she gave it all away? Think she starved? Think she sat in the corner and went, oh, I wish I wouldn't have gave that money. I could have bought a taco. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she ate good that day. Because I'm pretty sure God took care of her and her faith. Again, Jesus said, when you pray, don't go out on the corner like the hypocrites do and pray out loud so everybody will see you. And then people walk by say, oh, wow, look at you. You're so spiritual. You are so holy. But instead, go in your room, close the door, and when nobody sees you, pray, pray before the Lord where your Father in heaven will see you, listen, listen, and reward you. So now, if, now the reward is based on, both people prayed, okay? But the reward is based on the motive of the, and the heart behind it. So everything God does and everything that you put through this Bema seat of, of Christ is based on a motive, right? It's based on a heart that God's looking for in your heart. But it, it still doesn't get away from the fact that what comes out the other side is a reward in heaven. You know, I used to, again, used to picture it like, like remember that old game show, no whammies, no whammies, no whammies? So you have a conveyor belt, right? And you put all your good stuff on, on the conveyor belt, and then it goes through this big fire, and then what comes out the other side, and you stand on the other side, and you wait for your stuff to go through the fire, and you're saying, no whammies, no whammies, big bucks, big bucks, oh, and maybe, maybe, maybe the beam of seed that Jesus said, it will be tried by fire, wood, hay, and stubble. Or, or, or who knows how it's going to actually go down. I heard a pastor say that, that it's, it's going to just be the eyes of Jesus. That, that, that the, Jesus' eyes are described as a fire. And just that fire is just pure. And as it looks at you, it's, it's the beam of seed is, is, is the eyes of Jesus. And the fire of Jesus that just gives you reward. You know, the Bible says there's crowns in heaven. I think you can find seven of them in the New Testament, different crowns, a fascinating study. I keep threatening that I'm going to do that study one of these Sundays, a pull-out study, because it's super cool. But there's seven different crowns that, that can be received. I want all of them except for one, the crown of the martyr. I'll pass on that one. But again, it's, 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 it's more biblical layers of the fact that heaven's not going to be the same for everyone. Now, what I don't really have time today, which I do wish I had, was how to maybe unpack that. But who knows? We're not going to know what heaven's like till we get there. The reason why we don't have this great description. But how can it be different? How can we all be in the same paradise and, and be different? God's going to figure it out. And I think biblically, again, different privileges, different positions, different responsibilities. Jesus said things like to him who, um, to, to one is going to be given ten cities, to one is going to be given five cities, 
And then Jesus said to the one, take what, you know, the guy who buried his treasure, he said, take what you have and give it to the, the guy that has 10 and, and that his is going to be taken out and burned in a fire. So again, we have these layers, biblical layers over and over again. Now, again, we've already clearly, as a, as a church this morning, right, we've already clear, clearly separated salvation because we're talking about works. Your, your reward is based on your works, but it's not about salvation, right? Different category. You're saved based on faith. Now, after you're saved, your works will be evaluated. Do you guys believe that's true according to verse 10 or not? You must appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, not talking about salvation, talking about rewards. Um, 1 Corinthians 3, you can make a note there. That's where uh, another place where the Bema seat of Christ is um, mentioned. Revelation 20 is where the great white throne of judgment is, is mentioned. And we won't, um, we won't have that. You, you all have been exempted as a believer in Christ from God's condemnation. There is now, therefore, no condemnation in Christ. That's why none of you will be faced uh, the great white throne judgment. You've been forgiven. When God sees you, do you know what he's going to see? He's going to see Jesus. And I'm pretty sure the Father's fond of Jesus. And so he's going to be fond of you. He's going to, he's, he's imputed Jesus' righteousness unto you. He's given you the righteousness of Jesus. And there's no judgment. Your sins are washed as, as white as snow. Your, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. When the Father sees you in heaven on judgment day, it's not about sin. Your sins have already been washed. What he's going to see is, you know, your righteousness, the Bible says, is, is a garment. You guys know the analogy? Remember the biblical analogy? That, 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 that the very best you could do for salvation based on works is filthy rags. And literally, technically, the Hebrew word means menstrual rags. So if you make a dress out of menstrual rags and you stand before God to try to appear, you know, pure and righteous, it's not going to fly. But in Jesus, you're, you're seen, your robes are white as snow and you're righteous based on Jesus' imputed righteousness unto you. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's one of your memorization verses today. Um, Jim Elliott, he said, uh, you guys remember Jim Elliott? He was a missionary to the Uka Indians um, in the 60s and 60s. And they went down to this cannibal tribe in um, Ecuador. Ecuador? Ecuador is where they, is that where Jim Elliott was in Ecuador? And they um, wanted to make contact with them and, and give them Jesus. And they had been working for months to try to get into this tribe and give them Jesus. And they finally made contact, and they went in, and Jim Elliott and three of his friends were murdered by the Oak Indians. Jim Elliott's son and wife later went back and led the whole, the whole group, the murderers and everybody, to Jesus, and the whole tribe began to serve Jesus. Jim Elliott, was, one of his famous quotes was, he said, he, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So we give up here the things on earth that we can't keep because we invest them in heaven. And what part of your life, my life, are we investing in heaven? You know, I can remember one of the most impactful sermons I heard, you know, just at the moment of my life. And it was talking about this concept. And the pastor said, he, he, he imagined it as a line, that you were waiting in line. And Jesus was there. And that as you get to heaven, the works that you have was, was, a, was an offering, the Bema seat, the things that you were going to put into the Bema seat judgment that were going to be tried by fire, you would hold them in your hands. And, and each person would come to Jesus and they would hand him, they would offer him the gifts, the works that they did here on earth, the proof that, that here while they were on the earth, they didn't just believe in Jesus enough to try to go to heaven, but they really believed that they were going to stand there one day. And so they did things and they had something to offer Jesus. And he said, that when, I, when I get up to Jesus in the front of the line, I don't want to have empty hands. I don't want to be that guy that has nothing to offer Jesus in that day. And this is not an analogy or story. This is a reality. You're going to stand before Jesus one day. And on that day, you, you, you want to have something to offer him. And I don't care what it is. You know, it's one of the motivating factors of my life is that that, that day is a reality. And when I get there, and I'm not, I'm not asking that I have 
the, the best and the most. I just want to have something and, and not be empty-handed. I can give Jesus and say, this is what I did. This is what I, this is what I tried. This is what I have. These are the risks I took. This is the, you know, I tried more. I did more. I, I went out on a limb. I, I stepped out in faith and life in these areas and, and that we have something to give Jesus. Somebody. <laughs> Thank you. Somebody say amen up in her. All right. Um, can we keep going? Okay. Knowing, verse 11, therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your conscience. Verse 12, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is good. It is for your good. I'm sorry, it is for good. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. That word literally means nuts. If we are beside ourselves or if we are nuts, it is for God. And if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus. And if one died for all, then all died. This is your second memory verse. And I only want you to memorize the first part of verse 14. For the love of Christ... The love of Christ compels us. Okay, your first memory verse was verse 8. For we are confident, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body to be present of the Lord. Your second memory verse is right here in 14. For the, um, for the love of Christ compels us. How many of you guys were in church last week? I shared this verse last week. Um, the love of God and how it compels us. You know, um, we, 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 you know, when you see a friend sinning as a believer, you, you want to um, let them know you, you love them. You want to let them know that that's detrimental to their lives. It's going to affect them. It's going to hurt them. It's sin against God. But, but as Christians, the rap that we get is that we're just judging everybody all the time because we, we generally care about them and we know the result of their sin is going to affect their lives in a negative way. And we, want, we don't want to see that. We wouldn't want to see that in our own children. We don't let our own children um, make mistakes to themselves. We correct them. We fix them. We want to do that in other people's lives. But, but oftentimes, again, all you're judging me or all you see is my sin. And so it's this little dilemma that we live in. But some Christians have just taken up the advice, well, it's better to hurt their feelings and just tell them the truth because they need the information. But I want to tell you, you can just go around telling everybody where they're wrong and where they're sinners. And, you know, and, and, and it's, but, it, but it's, none of it's going to work. If you don't love them first, if they don't first experience the love of Jesus, that's those, those rules, those regulations, those sins in their lives, their, their life's not going to change unless they know that Jesus loves them because it's the love of Jesus that changes lives. You can tell me all about my sin, you can, and all of it can be true, and I can feel guilty, and I can feel bad. You know how, guilt, how long guilt lasts as a motivator? If I, I, you know, I try not to do guilt sermons. Maybe I'm guilty of it at times and it just comes out, but it's never my motive is to guilt any of you into following Jesus because I know that it lasts as long as it takes you to get out from here to hit the key fob on your car and decide what's for lunch. The guilt trip's gone. Feel a little better about yourself because you're hungry. You're ready to go. It doesn't work. It's the love of Jesus that will change your life. You want to change somebody else's life? Get on your knees and start praying that God would help you to show them the love of Jesus. Somehow make them understand that Jesus loves them. Forget what they're doing wrong and who they are. Jesus loves sinners. When the woman who was caught in adultery we talked about last, last week, what, did, did Jesus tell her, you, you sinful lady, you're such a sinner, you need to stop sinning. He said, who condemns you? And she said, no. And he said, neither do I. I love you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. But it was the love of Jesus that changed her life. Powerful verse there, you guys. Powerful, powerful verse. Know it as a believer, okay? Put it in your, in your bag of memory verses. It's that important. The love of Christ compels us. That word compel, study it. Understand it. It has multiple meanings. The love of Christ motivates us. The love of Christ drives us. The love of Christ changes us. It compels us. It's everything. It's the love of Jesus. Um, hey, I want to uh, turn with me real quick, you guys. I kind of missed this, but I think it's important. I want to do it. Turn with me. To Acts chapter 14, that's to your left, just a couple books, pages. Acts 14, 19. It says, Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, 
And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul, not with marijuana, and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They, they threw rocks at him, stoning. They stoned him. They threw rocks at him until when? Until they thought he was dead. Now, look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now you just need to go back a few pages to your right. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, beginning in verse number 2. And Paul's going to make comments on what happened to him at, um, at Iconium in uh, Acts chapter 14. Paul's going to mention that, that moment. So they throw rocks at Paul until he's dead, or they think he's dead. They drag his lifeless body outside of the city. Paul's friends show up. Now what I want to do is I want to kind of just draw your attention to the scene around the body of Paul. Now, if you can imagine, I've, I've had this situation happen once or twice in my life, and it's the scariest thing I've ever been in. We were at school one day, um, our Christian school, and we had a girl who was like sophomore in high school, and, and she was unresponsive and had passed out on the scene, and we were there. I was like the first one there, and, and she wasn't breathing, and, and it was the scariest feeling in the world, you know, and I was terrified, you know, in this, in this situation, in this moment. And so Paul's friends are there, and, and Paul is... Um, he's dead on the ground. This is what Paul says happened. Look at verse, uh, we're in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2. Paul says, for I know a man. <laughs> he's so humble. I know a guy. Who is he talking about? <laughs> Himself. The next time you want to tell a story about yourself, just say, hey, I know a guy. I know a gal. I know a gal one time. I know a guy one time in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. But God knows such a one was caught up into the third heaven. So when Paul was laying outside the city, he said, I don't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. I, I like that little commentary because I've heard some commentaries of folks and they, they, they said something very similar. They didn't know if they were having a vision, if they were physically there, um, what was going on. So, so Paul is in heaven, whether he's having a vision, whether his spirit is literally there, and he says, um, but nonetheless, the experience doesn't change. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows he was caught up into paradise. Now, really quickly, when Paul says in verse 2, he was caught up into the third heaven. Don't, don't let you get twisted on that, okay? That just means where, where God is. It doesn't mean there's three heavens. Um, and then he says in verse 4, he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul is in heaven. Now turn really quickly. Last one as we go through this. Philippians chapter 1. So Paul is on the ground. He's, he, his body is dead. His friends are freaking out. They're probably praying and who knows. Maybe one of them has got the olive oil in his, in his little keychain. He's dumping olive oil on him. and Maybe they're trying to give him CPR and begging him, Paul, 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 come back. Paul's in heaven like, oh, dude, everything here, I can't even express. If, if I even tried to tell you what I saw, or not what I saw, what I heard, it would be a crime. It was so amazing. I can't even begin to describe it. I won't even try. Now, do you think Paul was like in bad shape? Do you think Paul was happy where he was? I'll tell you what, this is what Paul said about that time too. He's like, this is how happy he was. This is how it changed his life. Look at Philippians. Paul's explaining this in verse... Um, um, 19, it says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and supply of the Spirit of Jesus. According to my earnest expectations and hope, nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But, I, but if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having, listen, the desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul's like, man, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. He never looked at dying and death as a bad thing. You won't find it in the Bible. Now, I, I want to be careful. Even when I say things about coronavirus in here, I want to be careful because I know it's a real deal and I know some of you have had direct loss from it. And I'm never trying to demean death or, or those kind of things, okay? I, those things, I, I realize they're real. And people are hurting from those things. But, 
But, but the eternal perspective of, as believers, if I can kind of separate those two, you never find in the Bible where there's a fear of death or a fear of dying. It, it, and the reality is just this. Now, it's so selfish because, yeah, man, I want to go be with Jesus right now. Who doesn't want to go walk on streets of gold and ride shooting stars through the galaxy and whatever I want to do, it's heaven. But I, what, what, what's, what's hard-pressed is that I have a four-year-old daughter. You know, I have three sons. I, you know, I understand that they need me. That, that, that you know, I want to walk my daughter down the aisle one day. So those kind of things are, you know, desire to have to be here because there's work to do. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want to see the kingdom of God grow. I want to make Jesus famous. I want to stand before Jesus one day and have something to offer him. And, and so, so in that, I realize it. But there is this internal, like, struggle that, man, I'm ready to go to heaven. You know, if I asked you right now, free pass, like, I don't know, like, jacuzzi, I don't know, free pass. Would you, would you go to heaven right now? You could close your eyes and just go to heaven. Would you take it? <laughs> you know, like, I, I get it. And Paul's like in this struggle, man, like, I'm ready for heaven. But yet I got to be there. Now, Paul's friends are freaking out over his dead body. Now, if that's me, you better not pray for me to come back to life. I'll haunt you. I'll come and open and close cupboards in your kitchen when you're sleeping. Like, leave, leave me alone. Like, I'm in heaven. Like, I'm with Jesus and life is good. You know, and, and so again, we have this eternal perspective that that's a reality. And, and it does help us process death and dying a little bit. And it's just true. You know that somebody knows Jesus? It's just, it's a lot easier, and it's, there's hope, and those funerals are so much easier. There's always hope, whether, whether people lived really with Jesus or not. You know, you know my recent story, I, I just buried one of my best childhood friends named Rudy, and he lived his life as a hellion, but I still held out hope because I led him, I led him in a sinner's prayer about six months ago, and I, I, you know, in the grace of God, and, and I can have hope that he's in heaven. And there's hope in that. There's hope, there's hope, there's hope, there's always hope. The Bible says we're never the judge of anybody's salvation. You know, when, uh, who was the lead singer of the Grateful Dead? Jerry Garcia. When Jerry Garcia died, I, I tweeted, uh, he ain't so gratefully dead anymore, meaning he's in hell. But that's not right, because even Jerry Garcia, you know, like, he could have given his life to Jesus on his deathbed, and he could be in heaven. And we don't know. The Bible says you don't know. You're not the judge, because it's not based on good and bad. How many of you guys were... We're familiar with the thief on the cross. That was a bad dude, way better than Jerry Garcia. And guess where he's at? What do you think um, the thief in the, in, on the cross, he's definitely in heaven, right? No doubt. What do you think his reward was like on the other side of the Bema Seat of Christ? It wasn't there. His heaven's going to be different than yours. He's still there. But there's levels of reward. He, he was that guy. He had to stand before Jesus with nothing to offer but excuses. But he's still in heaven. Right? You know what I mean? Like So there's equity there. He, he, he's, he's got the same heaven we got. But his experience somehow, again, biblically, is going to be different. His position, his, his access, his, you know, all the things that we could make a case through biblically that he is in a different place. Um, all right, we are done now, y'all. I've got to be done now. So, But i got to get to the end of this. Um, where was that? 16? 16. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Somebody say amen. amen. Who did Jesus die for in this verse? He died for them all. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Again, we don't judge people according to the flesh. God knows their hearts. Therefore, this is your next memory verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the old you is gone. You've become new. Jesus, God doesn't remember it. He doesn't judge you on it. Paul says, I press on toward the upward call of Christ Jesus, and I move forward. That you're a new creation in Christ. All things. What does all mean in the Greek? All. all things. Now, all things are of God, who has been reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was 
I'm sorry, that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Somebody say ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is, right? It's a representative. And this is kind of like a, a, I don't know, a challenging kind of title for you and I to remember that you're an ambassador of Jesus. You know, I, I, I uh, remember a time when somebody who was a, was a believer in Jesus was going through something difficult and then publicly made some, some bad statements that God wasn't with them and God had left them and, and was a believer, you know. And as an ambassador, you don't want to misrepresent God that way, even in a, even in a moment of weakness, because it's just not true. God never leaves you nor forsakes you. That God's faithfulness is true and true, and nobody has ever, ever you know, experience the unfaithfulness of God. It doesn't exist. You know, and so just knowing that we're ambassadors of Jesus. The Bible says that it gives the enemies of God the occasion to blaspheme. We don't want to be a part of that, right? And so we trust the Lord through all of that. We are ambassadors. And then it says, um, as though God were, were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We implore you. And I, I'm going to implore you as we close. The worship team is going to come up. Um, we're going to sing this last song. We're going to have you guys receive communion this morning. We are out of time, so we're going to keep it close. But listen, look at what this last verse says just before you wrap up, okay? Paul says, I implore you. What does implore mean? It, it's a way for the apostle Paul to say, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. I, I'm encouraging you. I, I, of everything that he is and that he knows and that Paul, his heart is breaking as he says, I'm begging you to be reconciled to God, to, to come to Jesus. It's hell without him. And, and I'm begging you, I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm calling you, please, if you knew what I knew, if you've seen what I've seen, I've been in heaven. I walked with Jesus personally for three years. I know a few things. And I'm imploring you, I'm encouraging you, come to Jesus. And then he says, for he, and this is, again, one of the most um, powerful verses about Jesus in all the Bible. And it's, it's very important that you know this as a believer. I encourage you to commit it to memory. For he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Let me ask a question. Who does that? The Bible says he who was rich, Jesus in heaven as a king of heaven, with the angels worshiping him round about the throne every day. He leaves his riches and he becomes poor so that you could become rich. He realized that upon the cross, all of your sins were placed upon the Savior. Every rape, murder, lie, sin, stealing, everything terrible, everything, all the atrocities of molestation and disgusting sin was placed upon Jesus. It says he became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Do you know who Jesus was before God placed all the sins of the world upon him on the cross? He was a king of righteousness in heaven. He was a creator of all things. He was God in heaven. And he became a man and he took all your sins and he says, I'll take, I'll take all your sins and I'll exchange them for my righteousness. Who would take a deal like that? That's why Jesus said, you're a fool if you gain this whole world, you lose your soul. Can you guys picture in your mind, close your mind for just one minute, picture in your mind a pirate's treasure. Most beautiful treasure falling all over the cave of Aladdin where the lamp is, treasure everywhere, it's all yours. And I pick the biggest, greediest, hairiest, rottenest burger out of my nose. And I say, hey, I'll trade you for your treasure. Disgusting, I get it, but impactful. No, who would make that deal? Jesus says to you, I'll take all your sins and I'll give you my righteousness. You just got to ask. So I encourage you today, if you don't know Jesus, that's his offer for you today, is that if, if you want to give him your sins, and Jesus is the only one that forgives sins. It's the only religious system. It's the only truth that Jesus is the only one that forgives sins. And what he offers for you is a free gift of salvation that you can't earn. You can't do anything to improve on. You have to believe it and receive it by grace. And that's an offer for you today. So I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray for you. And you just need to say yes to Jesus. We're going to, uh, we're going to go ahead and have you guys take communion as we sing this last song. 
So, um, and then um, Dave and Shannon will be up to pray for you. Josh and Amber will be up to pray for you. If you want to let somebody know you ask Jesus in your heart, I encourage you to do that. Just let one of these guys know as you come up and as you receive communion, we'll, we'll be in a place to be able to pray for you. And I'm going to lead us in a sinner's prayer first. And if you want to ask Jesus Christ in your heart, let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Is there anybody in here that would like to ask Jesus in their heart to become their Lord and Savior? You raise your hand up. Okay. One. Okay, I see you. You can put them down. I see you. Anybody else in the back? I see your hand in the back. All right. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. About a dozen people. Let's pray together. Dear Lord Jesus, please come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I receive your free gift of salvation. I take your righteousness and I give you my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe that you died on a cross and rose again the third day. And I ask you to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we're going to, Van's going to help me. We're going to begin to release a few sections. The back, you guys can receive communion there. Um, when the communion is over, I'll, I'll get up and try to say amen. But we are over. I, told, I warned the children's ministry today. I said, we're going to be a few minutes over today. So take your time. If God's moving in your heart, please take this time to receive communion. Let God speak to you. Get prayer. Um, worship the Lord. And then when that's over, just, just quickly grab the kids so we can let our Sunday school um, teachers off the hook.